Hi, I'm Marlene Persky, and I am very honored to be sitting here at the Worcester Historical Museum for our pretty powerful exhibit. I, as you probably could tell, I came from New York, born and raised, and married Worcester, and have been happily married ever since. A wonderful place to raise your children, get involved, many cultural uh, activities and organizations, and it's been a good life, and it just keeps on going. Hi, I'm Moira Moynihan Manoog, and I am Marlene's co-chair for the Pretty Powerful Exhibit at the Worcester Historical Museum. I am a lifelong resident of Worcester, and as is my husband, and I will um, echo Marlene's thoughts that it's a great place to live and raise a family and a wonderful city where you can get involved in lots of fantastic institutions like the Historical Museum. I was honored to be asked and it has been just a great journey and I think one of the best things about it is that it kept us all together and focused during COVID um, in what was sort of a bleak time so to be able to get together and celebrate 100 years of women voting and to celebrate it with women voting in style has just been um, a real um, really fantastic um, experience for me. So hi, I'm Charlotte Haller. I was the guest curator and historian and author for this project. I'm a professor of history at Worcester State University, and I have really enjoyed working on this project for a little bit over a year because it's allowed me to learn more about Worcester's interesting and exciting and diverse history, um, especially of fashion and of women. Hi, I'm Ann Status, and I am the director of development here at Worcester Historical Museum. I also took on the project manager position of this fabulous, pretty powerful 100 Years of Voting in Style exhibit. It has been an absolute remarkable experience. I, I am so thrilled that in working with our co-chairs, honorary chair, advisor, James Hogan, and Charlotte, um, working with you and Madeline has been absolutely a remarkable experience and I've learned so much. I, I have an analogy that it feels almost like we built a house um, and I look at those mannequins and they have become almost as if they are my children. I have no favorite one. They're all my favorites, all 32. <laughs> and uh, it's just a thrill to be able to take individuals and groups through this exhibit and I hope that with your help, we will be inviting more uh, girls, women, men to this exhibit to share uh, what we have accomplished in the past 100 years and how much further we have to go. I'm Bill Wallace. I'm the executive director of the Worcester Historical Museum, and I'm here because I'm grateful to, to everyone on this team for bringing us such a wonderful exhibition and making this new statement on behalf of Worcester Historical Museum about inclusion, diversity, and fashion, and history, and, and everything that makes the Worcester story exciting. Um, as one might guess from hearing from other members of the committee, my vote is the weakest, but my cheer is the loudest. I'm Molly O'Connor. I'm Sarah Connell Sanders. And you're listening to Poppin'. This is the podcast for popping questions, popping bottles, and pop culture.
when we went downstairs, there were a lot of familiar names of local women who had donated their pieces and also very politically savvy women who, you know, I aspire to someday cross paths with. How did you get in touch with these people, local and national? Because we live in Worcester, even though it is a big city, it is a small community and you get to know a lot of people. From Joan Gage, who was at the White House in her beautiful black and white dress, to Harley Chandler, she wore her suit uh, to be sworn in from Mary Fletcher, who happened to be neighbors with uh, one of the Bushes and got a dress from, from that family. Um, it's just amazing the, the long tentacles that everybody in Worcester has. And that's why you know, we, we enjoy being here, because you get to know people. I, I would echo a lot of Marlene's comments that it really is um, a big city but a small town here in Worcester and we were able to make so many connections through our other co-chair James Hogan and uh, through our just our local networks but really Anne every time we would come up with an idea we would just send Anne out running and she would make things happen. You know there's no such thing as six degrees of separation in Worcester so that even let's just say you know, in talking to James Hogan, um, and he said, oh, I have a friend in New York who, who designed for Michelle Obama, and, um, you know, very specifically for a trip of hers in 2015 to New Delhi, and how Michelle Obama used her clothing and her outfits and, and chose her designers to reflect the diversity that she wanted to promote so that she used Indian designer, Indian-American designer, Bipu Mohapatra, and James was friendly with him, so James made that connection. Similarly, you know, the Kamala Harris jacket that, was, that we call, Charlotte, thank you, I think uh, the meeting of two presidents, uh, vice presidents, and um, Suzanne Pond is, uh, was born and raised in Grafton, and, you know, uh, certainly um, has a presence in Worcester, but she is the vice president of Kinross Kashmir, and she um, sold one of her jackets to Kamala Harris last December 2020 at a Christmas market where she was, she was seen wearing that jacket. So again, it's like one or two degrees of separation. And as far as horror stories, I just don't know. Oh, I bet, I bet Bill has one, though. Let's see. <laughs> No, it was it was all wonderful. There are no horror war stories, no horror stories. We love Harley Chandler. We love Harley Chandler. I think I think to build on this a little bit, what's important about this exhibit beyond what it says immediately is it builds on the tradition of the Worcester Historical Museum when Harriet Merrifield Forbes was one of the first women elected to membership uh, in the early years of the of the 20th century. She began the costume collection because she wanted to make certain that costume history was represented here and largely, therefore, the voice of women. And this is, this is an opportunity for us to, as Worcester Historical Museum, continue to grow on an almost daily basis as we expand the, the pool of, of participants in this, this exhibit, but also send a clear message to other members of the community that your story matters. And it may be the dress that you wore when you were sitting at the Woolworths counter 
in 1960 um, as a, uh, for a sit-in. It may be the outfit that you wore for a protest on Worcester Common in 2021, but they all tell stories, and that's really important for us to capture. Initially, we had thought, Charlotte, that we were going to have 19 outfits for the 19th Amendment. And as, as with the support of Marlene and Moira and the committee, there were so many more stories to tell. And we were like, we've got to go beyond. So we kept like sneaking them in. And, and all of a sudden, we were up to 36 or 37. And Bill, <laughs> Bill was trying to get us back down to 19. But we persevered. I wanted to know the scope of history that will be covered while we're looking at the clothes and some of the research that went into curating this show from your historic academic standpoint. We know that Harley Chandler, who we've had on the show, the I, I misspoke when I said Senator. She's actually Senate President Emerita <laughs> Chandler. Um, just the idea that we have her, who she's very, very local, right? Like her roots are deep here next to national and international women, you know, internationally known. I think that that kind of shows, it goes back to what you were saying, Bill, about it, no, no matter how local it is, to Worcester, it matters just as much, and we can elevate that. And so I love the idea that it does have that scope. And I loved how you talked about that as being like the local and the national and the international, because that was one of the things we sort of struggled with as we were thinking about how to define this exhibit. The scope is 1920 to 2020, and that marks when women get the right to vote, or some women get the right to vote, to basically where we were in 2020 and in the middle of a pandemic and also in the middle of the largest social justice movement in the United States and huge protests over George Floyd's murder and Black Lives Matter and sort of how do we make sense of those two kind of marking points and then all the stuff that came in between. Um, and I think one of the things that's really cool about the exhibit is that blending of really local outfits and local stories with the reminder that Worcester is not an isolated place, right? Like, we care about Michelle Obama in Worcester, even though she's not from Worcester. Um, and we care about Kamala Harris. We care about these national things, but we also care about our local communities. One of the really fun things for me to learn about in this exhibit was the sort of history of dressmaking and fashion design in Worcester. So there's two very early outfits that represent sort of women, what women might have worn when they first went to the polls, made by Swedish dressmakers. There's that copper mini dress made by a Jewish refugee that ended up in Worcester through a very circuitous path. There's the Ghanaian dress made by a Ghanaian-American immigrant. Um, and so these stories, not just of immigration, not just of women, but also entrepreneurship um, is one of the really interesting themes for me in the exhibit. So there is, oh my God, it's fabulous. It looks like, it's like a, it looks like a costume from Austin Powers. It reminds me of the movie Dick because it, that movie is about Richard Nixon. It's an alternate history, but it's just like a very cool high-necked, what is that, like a sheath almost. What? It's so fascinating to me because what woman who supported Richard Nixon was even that cool, you know? It's almost, it almost looks like canvas. 
more about the paper dress. Yeah, so it's like, you know, when you go to the dentist, they put that bib on you. So it's like that kind of paper. Yep. So it's durable enough that it, you could wear it a couple of times. Um, but, like, it makes me want to vote for Nixon. Me which, too. Exactly. It's really, it's really quite something to look at. I love it. I want to wear that dress. The collector um, who donated lent us this collects just these paper dresses. Oh, cool. And she has the most amazing collection, and it really showed the pop art of our time. This, this signified, you know, the 60s. Uh, so this one, this dress, this 1933-34 dress, there's a couple of really interesting things. First of all, the under the undergarments that one would have to wear, and it was like a new invention called Lastex. This crazy, like super triple Spanx kind <laughs> of. Spanx? Okay, no. Sounds like yet another torture device. Yeah. And the other thing that's really interesting about this dress is that well, there's a couple other things. One is there's a tiny little um, number seven sewn into the back and that's because it was the seventh uh, collection co collected item from Harriet Merrifield Forbes so when she started the collection she hand wrote in this little journal and this one was number seven also um, there is a blue eagle label from the National Recovery Act in the National Recovery Act and um, that was a very short-lived program under FDR and um, it was was meant to um, signify um, fair labor within the workplace. However, why did it only lasted a year and a half? I have no idea. But I, I just think that it is a very interesting, you know, dress for many reasons. It reminds me actually of a dress that Nicole Kidman wore to the Oscars once. Yeah. In a different color. You know that one? It was like it was like a light purplish. The year she won, it had a similar sort of like flow to it. And it was yeah, beautiful. I love that dress. Am I remembering correctly that this was on Vu Sawyer's dress? She was one of the first cover stories I ever wrote for Worcester Magazine was about her escaping at the fall of Saigon. She escaped as a little girl on a helicopter from Vietnam. Um, but she's a truly remarkable woman and a published author. And now she runs our Southeast Asian Coalition. So that was like one of the local women where I was so excited. You know, I'm pumped to see Michelle Obama's dress, but then I was also like, Anvu Sawyer, I know her, you know, and that's got its own sort of thrill. The, the color of it is so gorgeous. That yellow is beautiful. There's nobody that comes through this exhibit that can't identify with one of the people that donated, yeah. one of the garments that have been donated. Um, it, it's just amazing to, to see the lines of people and them saying, oh, this is Barbara Booth's dress. I saw her in this at the art museum. I remember I was admiring this Armani suit last time I was here, and you mentioned the connection between women's income levels and the menswear that is connected to, you know, what is appropriate for them to wear to work. Can you put that in some more <laughs> articulate terms? So I think one of the things that's interesting, and we see this in this collection of work outfits, is that um, as women moved in, one of the themes of the last hundred years, right, is women moving into traditionally male professions, um, medicine, business, law, 
Um, and one of the th really interesting things is what do you wear when you, you know, are the first law partner or the first person to run a hospital or, you know, and often I think women choose to wear suits that are much closer to menswear than traditional women's wear. But obviously, it's own thing, right? It's not a man's suit. It's a woman's suit. And so these sort of negotiations of femininity and power, um, I think we can see them in the different suits here. And that's Mora's suit. <laughs> so I don't know if you have a specific thing to say about that particular suit. So it, it was, this was pieced together, the top jacket my mother gave me for Christmas one year. And it was supposed to be more of a dressy, a very dressy suit. And my friend who kind of sold it to my mother and myself said that Michelle Pfeiffer had worn it on the runway and didn't you see it? And I was like, no, I didn't see it. <laughs> but, um, but at any rate, I wore the pants. They have um, a black suit jacket that didn't make the cut but is now I'm actually very relieved because it's oversized and those oversized blazers are really in right now. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been wearing it at home <laughs> because I work at home now. <laughs> I love the structure of that jacket and that it's a little bit asymmetrical. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's that detailing that you wouldn't see in a men's suit. I will say now for work, I don't wear clothes like that, even in professional <laughs> settings, you know, it's, it's so, everything's so much more relaxed. Mm -hmm. Yes, this is like the pandemic fashion, right? right? <laughs> yeah. And am I remembering correctly that those are native earrings? Yeah, so Kim oh, Tony, who loaned us this outfit, is black and indigenous. And so she made the earrings that are included in the outfit and kind of represent indigenous craft and her um, learning that craft. And she talked about, you know, like the pandemic has been so stressful and being on Zoom and, you know, wearing earrings and sort of being able to remember not just the fact that her ancestors had resilience and got through way worse than the COVID pandemic, but also just the peace that she had when she was working on those earrings and, and making them. Those are great. They're artifacts of the They pandemic. are, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love the juxtaposition of, like, these are both, so this particular, this, like, jumpsuit, sort of like a leisure look, right? I love that it's with what a typical woman would have been wearing in her home in 1955, right? Mm -hmm. And it's so, they're so different from each other. Like, this is leisure now, and this was like, you know, she wasn't going to work necessarily, and this is what she was wearing. That dress, this dress is funny. Yeah, huh? is there 64000 all over it? What's the significance? <laughs> the $64,000 oh, pyramid? Yeah. Is that what it is? It's the quiz show. $64,000 <laughs> question. Question, not pyramid. It's sorry. Yeah. And oh, it's, what's yeah, it's a that, pyramid, right? The big yeah. scandal with Charles Van Doren. Oh, it's from the quiz answers. show? Yes. Yes. Oh. yes. There's a great... So it's a homemade dress, and so she would have picked out this fabric. And I, I mean, I love just the juxtaposition of it. Right. Right, like I imagine her being like, this is funny, yeah. but it's very stylishly made. Like the silhouette is pretty elegant and, you know, yeah. took a lot of skill to make and the sort of sense of humor that people had. Right. I feel like this is like a woman who maybe felt restricted in other areas of her life. Maybe was like, well, I want to I wanna have the silhouette that's, that, so that I match with like the neighborhood, right? But I still want to be myself. Yeah. It's great. 
Now, over here, as we kind of close out the uh, the work section of your exhibit, this was the one that I was like, I want to wear this jumpsuit. You know what I mean? It's from 1942, but it's also so of the moment. Yeah, so um, this is a Red Cross uniform, and the woman that wore it, um, Marianne Jepson, but Schellerberger was her name when she wore it, um, was what was called a donut dolly. So a volunteer for the Red Cross who followed the troops in this like bus that had been converted into donuts. A donut machine would be in the bus, coffee maker, um, you know, candy, cigarettes. So like kind of going to the front lines to cheer up the troops and give them food. But, you know, if you look in the catalog, there's a map of where these donut dollies went. They were all along the European front during World War II. So they were, you know, not 100% in the action, but they are like right there yeah. um, in World War II. And this was the outfit that she wore to do that. Wow. It looks like something you would see walking down the streets of Brooklyn. And, yeah. yeah. No, it's really. Totally. And it has that. It's fashionable and sort of stylish but utilitarian it showed that they weren't just sort of frivolous right yeah. they're serious on the front lines doing important things um giving out donuts and coffee yeah <laughs> i feel like the fact that it was a pant was like a big right. statement mm-hmm. right yeah, like right. instead of like a skirt or dress totally um, <laughs> and marlene we heard from a friend of ours that we share a mutual friend in the consignment business oh. amanda sestaro sweet jane oh, she oh, was yeah. like i love marlene because i asked if she had come yet oh, but oh, i wanted to hear about this find from shaky jake's well, I don't know if you, I'm sure you don't remember Shaky Jake. I know where, well, I know it's Maria's Modern Muse now, right? right? When I moved here, I was in my 20s, and it wasn't the time when I would be dressing like a matron. <laughs> so I loved going to uh vintage shows there was one Brookfield uh Brimfield mm-hmm. Fair and this was right after um the war and Shaky Jakes had a bunch of them and it just resonated uh because it, what's going what has been going on now and what had happened then, uh, the juxtaposition is is almost mind-boggling. But, and it, it, I think it said, when I die, I'll go to heaven. We spent my time in hell. Hmm. At Vietnam, 1969-1970. And it was the time after this, it was, we all thought, never again, this can happen. But, of course, it did. But it's also a fashion statement. Yeah. And it was the years of Woodstock and, and the music festivals, and we were all wearing our ripped jeans like you're probably wearing right now, <laughs> if I could see. Um so it was it was just also a fashion statement and a political statement. Wow. 
And I think that there's a lot of history of that. I mean, even at the time of Vietnam, it was a statement to, like, wear a black band on your arm. Mm -hmm. Like, that itself was, like, saying something. And so I think trying to separate fashion from the political doesn't work because it's always been, it's always had a hand in politics. And you'll see in the Academy Awards the the pink ribbons yep. the red ribbons now the red the rainbow ribbons mm-hmm. you know it's all it's a political statement and it's a fashion statement for sure um, I will never forget when Sharon Stone wore a Gap turtleneck mm-hmm. the Oscars like just that and that itself was like yeah mine's Uniglow <laughs> <laughs> but that itself was like the idea like yeah it could yeah. look great and like we could be normal people too and speaking oh, of politics there yeah. she is our muse. I love it. <laughs> Senate President Emerita Harriet Chandler. Calling her your muse. We I love think, her. I think yeah. she would be thrilled. Oh, she sure would. I know we're ta- <laughs> we are always um, talking about how much how great she is. Yeah, she's just been really good to us. Good. Whenever there's an opportunity, um, she invites us along. You know. Awesome. She added this pin at the last minute. Is that right? She the weekend before the exhibit, she called me and left a message on my home phone and said, Anne, I have a facsimile and I'd really like you to put it on the lapel of, of, of the outfit. And it's interesting because the history is that it's called the Silent Sentinel pin. And in 1917, when women who were picketing outside of the White House, you know, for wanting the right to vote... They were jailed, and um, they went on hunger strikes, and they were force-fed. And after leaving jail, the National Women's Committee um, issued these silent sentinel pins, basically as a badge of courage. And I think it's, like, so interesting because I think it helps us kind of talk to the exit experience where, you know, we've come a long way, but we have a long way to go. Absolutely. So I'm still, you know, um, fighting for voting rights. So I, I just, I, I'm so thrilled that she, she added that to her outfit. And now I remember there was a Holocaust story connected to this piece. Is that right? Is there yeah. anyone who can speak to that? Or? Yes. Fela Herman, who was the designer of this dress, made it for her cousin. Marsha Wiseman, and they were both Jewish refugees living in Worcester. Um, They had sort of different paths to Worcester. Bela Herman was living in Poland, and if you know anything about the history of Poland during World War II and the Holocaust, incredible devastation. But she managed to pretend that she was Christian, worked as a servant for a Nazi, and survived World War II, ended up in Australia, gotten interested in fashion, went to fashion school, back to Europe, and then joined her cousin in Worcester, where she opened this fashion boutique. And this dress was one that she designed for her cousin, um, who remembered just loving wearing, like just, you know, that you know you have to sometimes have that dress that you're like, this is me. This is how I want to be. I feel great when I wear this. It seems like that was that dress for Marsha Wiseman. I can see why. It's kind of similar to my senior prom dress. Yeah. Mine was, mine was silver sequins. <laughs> mine was silver sequins, but it's so cool that this dress, which was like inspired by flapper times and then came about in the 60s, is so similar to something that people... Would wear, would wear today. Oh, yeah, I would wear that right now. But the glitz and glamour, Absolutely. yeah. Um, Molly, does another piece from this section catch your eye that you want to hear? Like, you know, I've been like, well, so, yeah, we had 
another member of our pretty powerful team, Efua Dufu, introduced us to Effie Duncalf. And Effie created this. Effie is Ghanaian like designer. And she created this for her wedding anniversary. She also made a uh, canticloth suit for her husband. Oh, and in the catalog, it's just beautiful mm-hmm. to see them side by side. So she is absolutely bubbly and delightful and wonderful, and she has a wide range of clothing. Um, she also has uh, one of her designs is she calls the African Queen, and they're really they're just fabulous. So it was just a pleasure. I think that what COVID gave us the opportunity to really think deeply about the story and and our our intent to make it as broad and reflective of. of you know, the diversity of Worcesters. Well, I see right next door you've included the output of a trans woman as well. Yes. Oh, okay. Charlotte, do you want to mention Yeah. So I think that was, again, one of the goals of the exhibit was to expand who we included, um, and it was really important to try to represent a range of experiences. And when we're thinking about the power of clothes, to think about what it means to be coming out as transgender, um, the power of wearing a women's outfit when you're just coming out as a trans woman can be incredibly sort of affirming and emotional. Um, and so we reached out, um, Anne reached out to Jordan Evans, who's uh, very involved in sort of local politics, a Worcester State grad, um, and she donated or loaned this outfit that was so meaningful to her. Like each piece has a story and a meaning behind it. Um, The necklace was from a friend, I believe. Her mother had given her the blouse. Um, One of the great sorrows of this exhibit is that we couldn't put shoes on the mannequins, um, but she had a pair of vegan Doc Martens that she wore sort of emulating and inspired by another transgender activist. Um, so to me, this that one outfit just shows all clothing is political. All clothing has power and is sending messages. Well, and looking at this too, like the designer, like this is... The top is from Fashion Bug, and the bottom is Ava and Viv, which is like a Target brand. And I just love that this is is like in line with handmade <laughs> outfits. These, you know, couture, these like high fashion things. Like you were saying, it doesn't matter your social economic level, your class. Clothes are so meaningful to the way we express ourselves and the way that we are able to carry ourselves in the world and gain confidence or lose confidence if we're not comfortable in our clothing, right? I did just notice that this was loaned by Ann Romney. <laughs> I know. Right? Sorry, that caught my eye. I don't. I hate to segue so suddenly. I mean, I know she's a Massachusetts connection, but I'm so curious. That's one of those yeah. um, two degree separations. Sure. So that was through James Hogan, our, our project advisor. That dress is fashioned or was fashioned by Alfred Fiendaka, and James actually did his apprenticeship with Alfred, I believe, back in the early 80s. So he had a connection, and he's still in connection with um, Dorothea, who has the archives and who is in touch with with Anne Romney. Reached out to Anne. Anne sent a, a some statements on how she would love to participate in the program, and you know, having a, she wore this dress when she accompanied Mitt Romney, her husband, to Israel oh, in 2015. Mm-hmm. So at the same time as as the Obama dress. 
And this makes an interesting statement, too, because I feel like wives of politicians tend to dress, not like basic, but just like, you know. Neutrals. They neutral. Neutral. Right. You know? There's not a lot of print yeah. like this, and it's kind of a, a cool outside-the-box. Yes, there's a lot of detail there, a little outside-the-box. And kind speaking of, of eye-catching, cool. Marlene, I have to know about the safety pin to us. <laughs> yes. My modern-day version of what I coveted as a student at the Fashion Institute of Technology. And it was the time of the London explosion of Biba and... Um, Oh, so bad with names now. There were a lot of rips and tears, and there was one dress that I just loved, and it was all holes and held together with safety pins and really kind of tough. <laughs> yeah. You know, basically tough, uh, but fabulous. And then when I grew up, <laughs> when I grew up, I saw this dress by Moschino, Moschino, and he took the thought of the dress from many, many years ago and did his interpretation of an elegant safety pin dress. Because if you stand back, you just see kind of an explosion of silver. And then when you get a little closer, it's just all these safety pins placed absolutely perfectly to, to make a sunburst or however you want to interpret it. But this was something that I coveted from the time I was in design school. And then finally, lo and behold, it became mine or my version of it. And then Molly, we went together, right, to the Say Her Name rally? Yes, that's Sarah's niece, right? Sarah um, DeVardo? Sarah DeVardo's niece? She said that, yeah. <gasps> that's so neat. Our we friend sent, Sarah. Yeah. We sent a friend of ours here because, you know, I said, oh, it's so lovely. Like, you should yeah. definitely go. And she said, you know what? I'm going to treat myself. She's a mother of three. She's like, I'm going to send my day off yeah. and go to the Worcester Historical Museum. And then that's her niece. I didn't yeah. realize. Because she said, so she was telling me about how much she loves the visit. And she said, yeah. And then I turned the corner and my niece was <laughs> painted on the wall. And I was like, that's Everybody really cool. Right? So true. Yeah. It's so true. This mural is so cool, though, where we have women who were ostensibly fighting for the right to vote 100 years ago, right? And then this young woman at a local event continuing to fight for civil rights. Yeah, and you had mentioned that in curating this exhibit, you guys were astutely aware of the fact that these women were not suffragettes for the right to vote for everyone, right? It was specifically white women. And so how did you kind of bridge the gap here? I have to give you know some credit also, great credit to Ethela, who also introduced us to Morgan Johnson. And Morgan very generously shared, as co-organizer of the Say Her Name June 2020 event um, at East Park, she shared her journals. And I shared those journals with Charlotte. Mm. And that... Charlotte, you took that and you basically opened your introduction um, in great part with that. So I'd, I'd love for you to kind of follow up on that. But truly, I just feel it's been such a remarkable 
privilege to work with these young, to work with all of these women, but to have a young voice, many young voices, you know, be it the Worcester State um, University, um, Hara, Hara Hreem, who uh, previously wore the hijab and wrote the label on hijab fashion for us, or Jade Norte, a Girls Inc. alum, um, who created that very unique mural for our powerful section using the Lisa McGovern dress as her muse. Um, and then, of course, Morgan, who, you know, I just, I, in looking at this, I just kind of see and, and hope for the future. Mm-hmm. And, and just, you know, here we have the celebratory backdrop of, of winning the right to vote, knowing that it wasn't until 1965 when the Voting Rights Act you know, passed so that women of color could then vote. This gives me hope and inspiration. You know, like today I'm in the mood to see continuity, I guess. So, you know, these women were fighting for entrance into the political realm and for the right to vote. And in Morgan's speech, she talks about not just like it's the right to exist. And she talks really powerfully about just the right to be in a place fully Um, and like to have your body count and matter and to sort of embrace who you are fully. And the, you know, 1920 image of these like overjoyed women just sort of like taking up this space with, you know, noisemakers and having a great time. And Morgan kind of reminding us of what remains to be done, but also she's also claiming a space for herself and for her body. And so I just love the way that we sort of at so many moments in this exhibit, there's these things that just encapsulate it all. So Harriet Chandler's outfit to me is one of those other ones that just like encapsulates everything. And this mural for me really encapsulates the power of history, um, the power of fashion, and the fact that there's still work to be done. I think it's really cool too that this particular mural does still showcase like what she was wearing that day. The shirt is again, like so powerful and so political. And so I love that it was included as part of this because it's not just about women and fighting for rights. It's about the fact that we can truly express in that way, which is really, really cool. Beautiful. So this was really fun. Thank you.